0: Day and welcome to the Human and Machine podcast. This is episode two for 2021. Uh, my name is Yaku, and with me is Lenny. As always, Lenny, how are you? Good, you, Yaku. Can't complain. Fantastic. Another 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 week, another podcast. Great to spend time with uh, with you and all of our listeners again. We of course bring you stories, news, and conversations and updates on the industrial manufacturing and infrastructure landscape, specifically here in South Africa. Um, and today, sadly, we don't have Table Mountain as a backdrop. Yeah,
1: last week was a we had to we had to choose. We we were supposed to shoot this um, podcast uh, last week, but uh, we had to choose between good cell phone signal and Table Mountain as a backdrop. Yeah, so we, we went for the mountain. So we had to reschedule for this week. Absolutely, <laughs> when
0: in the Mother City, you you definitely go for the mountain. Um, and it was definitely special as always. Cape Town was uh, was definitely showing off with the weather. She was she was showing off and and just a really really good week and quite encouraging to see a lot of positive sentiment and innovation coming out of the Cape. Um, and that was really good and also very exciting to see more women, um, specifically on the training that we had down there. And of course, this is all on on the backdrop of us celebrating International Women's Day. And unfortunately, our, our industry, like many other industry sectors, is still lagging behind when it comes to ensuring gender diversity in the workplace. And I must say, it feels like we've never had a better opportunity to change this than, than the present. Um, and also also very exciting just to change the hearts and minds of young engineers. And phew, it doesn't seem evident more so than anywhere else than in, in, in the Western Cape. It's a lot happening there.
1: Yeah, Jaco, I think, um, I mean, there's a lot of talk about current brain drain in South Africa. Um, There's also this massive talk about, you know, there's this massive age gap between, you know, old people leaving the industry, youngsters joining, and then in the middle, there's a little bit of a gap from a skills shortage perspective. But definitely from what I've seen last week in Cape Town, just the amount of youngsters that comes into the industry, not necessarily that they have the experience, but that is good because they also don't have any preconceived ideas of what to do and how to do it. For sure. And I think bringing that new innovation into the industry can only be good, so I'm very glad to see the youngsters coming on board in the engineering sector. Definitely.
0: Absolutely, yeah. especially the young, the young uh, woman uh, p- p- joining joining the training and just yeah kicking it off and also having some incredible ideas. That's that's really really good to see. Um, all right, so one of the most downloaded episodes from our little humble podcast that we have was the conversation we had with Alan Nipper. Who's the co-inventor of MQTT and the president and CTO at Cirrus Link? Uh, this was a couple of months ago already. I think it was, in fact, it was last year. Last
1: year. It was probably one of the first episodes we've, we've done on the podcast.
0: Yeah, was that's crazy. Time flies. And today we're excited to again host Arlen and give an update on MQTT and all the all the work that they they're doing with Spark Black B. And also following that episode, um, just help us answer some of the questions we received about MQTT versus OPC UA and why it's the future, Sparkplug B standardization, the concept of data ops, data transformation, just a, yeah, hopefully, uh, as it always will be, just a, just a lot of good and helpful information, and especially useful and relevant regardless of where you are in your digital journey. So yeah, we're super excited to have another chat with Arlen.
1: Arlen, how are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me again. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Perfect. Thanks, Alan. Alan, I think um, last time we
0: talked—can can you believe it's been—it it's been, was last year. It was, it was probably about six months ago that we last
1: spoke. Uh,
2: yes. Uh, uh, really yeah, much. I think it was around six months ago. So, yeah, it, it's been a while.
1: <laughs> and I think a lot has changed in this landscape um, that we've been talking about. Um, well, and i think last time it was it was very much introductory to mqtt we spoke a little bit about the history the you know how long the technology is and i think we focused a lot around MQTT as a report by exception protocol. Obviously, all the good things that's that's intended with that around bandwidth reduction, mm-hmm. um, and and I think sometimes people get this idea that oh okay that's what I use MQTT for if I if I've got a stranded asset and I need to get the data out um, then MQTT makes perfectly sense from a bandwidth perspective but. I mean, after our conversations with you, there's, there's so much more that NQTT can offer than just the reduction of bandwidth. I think it's probably one of the little myths of MQTT that it, you only use it for that. Um, obviously, in the six months, there's this new term floating around um, called data ops for international enterprise or industrial enterprise. Um, obviously, you're in a much more better <laughs> position than me to explain what this data sop- ops concept is. And obviously how MQTT can actually help feed into this strategy as well, not just having data sent through bandwidth efficiency from stranded assets.
2: Well, Lenny, that's true. I mean, it's interesting. We, um, we, we kind of did a, a forensic analysis of our sales of MQTT technology last year. And, and you're right, our genesis and the genesis of MQTT originated in the oil and gas market. It originated to make DSAT communications more efficient. Um, it originated you know, as a command and control capabilities. And, and that was cool and, that, and that's where our genesis came from. But as we looked at the markets that we were in, actually last year, oil and gas was no longer even 50% of the business that we did. We were into manufacturing, logistic, uh, food and beverage, pharma. Um, so the the landscape of customers understanding it and applying MQTT and the associated spark plug mechanics of have really exploded over the last six months. Well, over the last twelve months, especially. Mm. And, and now, what, yes. Well, sorry, I was, was going to say, Lenny. One of the contexts of that is, and, and we'll, we'll, we can talk in more more detail here. But one of the concepts that we've had is that we've got when we design operational systems, regardless of the industry that we're in, we always have to remember like the three tenets that that Inductive Automation and link have been on over the last five years. Is number one, whenever possible, decouple. And what we mean there is you should be connecting devices to infrastructure, not to applications. And that, that could be, like you said, that could be remote assets, or that could be a machine on the factory floor, or that could be. Sensors and other things around the factory. So one of the things, things like tanks that are feeding uh, materials, you know, liquids and things into the factory, being able to monitor the building control system that's at the factory. So all of a sudden, there's all of these other opportunities to take and, and get a hold of that stranded data. So number one is connect devices to infrastructure, no matter where you're at. Number two was provide a single source of truth. And originally, four years ago, when we came up with these tenants, that was just at the process variable level. In other words, the measurement. So if you had a Modbus register or an Allen Bradley register that you could take that register value pair and all of a sudden give it context. You could give it a name, you could give it engineering units, you could give it engineering ranges, you could give it any other properties that you needed Excuse me. But now, as we learn, as we went forward. But now, as we learned and and we've been moving forward with our customers, we've kind of changed that tenant to provide a single source of truth for models, assets and measurements. And we'll get into more on that in our data as we talk more about data ops. And then the third tenet was, remember, our job, first and foremost, is to provide a better operational system first. So let's get our operational infrastructure better, faster, more secure, more available, more scalable. And then once we've done that, we're ready to plug into data ops. We're ready to plug into cloud solutions. We're ready to plug into that back-end enterprise system. But we have to focus from an OT up to IT mentality, not IT down to OT.
1: Now Arlen, that's, that's something that we hear a lot, right? So, I mean, I know we've been speaking a lot about it, but you know, you get a drive from IT around digital transformation And they kind of drive you to say, okay, all we need is to get the data into our cloud infrastructure. doesn't matter what it is. All we need is just to move that data from the plant into the cloud. And that's normally IT's kind of perception on how to get this OT type of data into it. And Mm -hmm. and you say it so nicely when you say you're just moving the problem from one place to another. Yeah,
0: Yeah, definitely. And, And OT is definitely becoming intertwined with with it um, specifically around the enterprise i know you, you you we spoke a couple of weeks ago about enterprise driving a lot of this direction and, and momentum and ot is definitely becoming intertwined, intertwined with it much more than we've ever seen on this discussion around what the offering is what the technology is and understanding the overall solution and and to your point that data gathering component To drive the decision making, that's that that's where that's the overwhelming factor, and that's potentially why data ops um, and and where it started or where the big drivers coming from.
2: Oh, absolutely, Yako. I mean, let's 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 step back and just kind of take a look at what you just said. Is you know, and and I'll, I'll we can grab some actual you know, technology examples. So we have things like Azure IoT Hub, we have things like uh, AWS Kinesis. And those are, are those interfaces that cloud services gives us to take large amount of data and put it into a data lake. So what we were seeing is that, that companies that had perfectly good operational systems they knew what they were doing they probably had the tools to model the machines and the equipment they were monitoring they had dashboards they had their trends that were they had alarming and reporting and all that but then the mentality was oh well let's take these pressures and temperatures and valve statuses and motor statuses and we'll take those register values and we're just going to pump them up into a data lake okay now we have, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of measurements sitting in a data lake. So six months later, somebody comes along and goes, you know, hey, Yako, uh, we're paying a lot of money a month to p- store all this data. What are we doing with it? Well, you know, we actually have to hire somebody to go into the data lakes and start taking all of those measurements out of the data lake and start giving it context. So now, you know, what we're doing is we're writing code on operating systems and lambdas or in functions to take the data out and give it context. And ironically, we're trying to probably reinvent the same structure that we had on the plant floor to begin with. Mm -hmm. So our kind of our new notion and what we're talking about with this notion of data ops is that with MQTT and Sparkplug, we now have the ability to publish a model. So let's take, for example, in Ignition, we build a UDT, a user defined type. And in that UDT, let's say we're just modeled a motor and that motor has RPMs and amps and handoff auto and things like that. Well, now that we've taken the time to build that model, you know, on the factory floor, we instantiate that model and actually, you know, give it, point it at an Allen Bradley PLC or a Modbus PLC or a Siemens PLC or maybe point it at our BACnet IP building building control system. And now we're gaining the scalability of being able to take a model and then replicating it, abstracting it away from the actual, you know, a low level register value pairs that we're pulling in. And now we're building screens. So we're, we're dragging UDTs onto the screen, they're populating and we've got consistency. So now with, with MQTT Spark plug, we've got the ability to take those models, the, that motor UDT and actually publish it to cloud infrastructure, mm. okay? So now out in our back-end systems or our cloud infrastructure, we've got the notion of a motor model. Well, now we take the instantiations of those, the instances of those motors, and those are published as spark plug definitions. So now we've got the definition and now the measurements that go along with that are included. But now, instead of this big lake of measurements that we have to put back together, Now in our infrastructure, we've got the notion of, oh, from this location, we learned this model. And at that location, there's five of those models creating assets. And then those assets have measurements and the measurements have context. So imagine the fact that if you could just go into your cloud infrastructure, boom, Pull up a motor and now you know what you're talking about. Um, the other thing that, that, that is kind of one of my pet peeves is that modeling using tools like, like uh, UDTs lets us make data humanly consumable. And what I mean by that is that our industry and it it doesn't matter if it's oil and gas or food and beverage or pharma or manufacturing, we are awash in enumerations. Yep. So we'll have uh, an engineer write a perfectly good control program and we need to know information from the equipment that's out there. So we have an integer value that can be zero, one, two, three, four. Now... If I'm on the plant, if I'm the engineer down there, I know that uh, a zero means this, and a one means this, and a two means that. But once we get decoupled from the, the the tribal knowledge on the factory floor, once we get decoupled from that, now what we have coming up to all of this digital transformation is in a number zero, one, two, three, four. Okay. So with our modeling, we can take that, take that tribal knowledge and break it out. And in our model, in our UDT, give that context. So one of the examples that I give is that in the oil industry, we have an orifice plate material enumeration. Is it stainless steel? Is it carbon? Is it Monel? Yeah. Well, with a UDT, we can break that out so that a zero is carbon. we create a string so that now other human beings can understand what in the heck we're doing.
0: Yeah. So block so b and just just to be clear and confirm that it doesn't in any way modify MQTT or the MQTT specification. Um, okay. it, establishing a single source of truth, and I, I'm with you. I think if we, if we can almost break it down in terms of how it is the standard for modeling OT data, It does give us the, call it the centric, OT-centric topic namespace. Uh, It provides us with the data model asset structure you've just spoke through. Um, The, again, OT-centric, extensible process variable payload. And then of course, very importantly, where the connection is the MQTT state management. Um, And that is, in short, how is the standard for from, from modeling OT data? And of course, you and uh, some of the other folks at the Eclipse Sahu, that's that's what the drive has all been and what it has been, uh, uh, what, what the focus has been for for several months or years, of, if, if not.
2: Well, correct. Uh, the the Sparkplug Working Group has been organized now for about 18 months. We are encouraging... Uh, more and more companies to join. Uh, currently, it consists of Chevron, uh, Intel, Inductive Automation, uh, Canary Labs, uh, Sereslink Solutions. Uh, we have several other uh, large organizations that I hope that we can uh, publicly announce coming up here soon. Um, but you're right, and I want to actually go back and comment on <clears throat> one of the things. I was very. It was very interesting for me to hear. On, on the diversity of getting young engineers into the workforce. So one of the things from, from my standpoint that's so exciting about just MQTT is that you know, if I went to a university and talked to a group of electrical engineering students or data scientist students or in those disciplines, you talk to that audience and you say, How many of you young engineers, if if you want to go into autumn? Nation, have ever heard of OPC UA, raise your hands. Just crickets, nothing. <laughs> um, you no, know, uh, Modbus, BACnet IP, heart protocol, DMP 3.0, nothing. Yeah. But if you ask that same group of young engineers, how many of you have a raspberry Pi in your dorm room? Yeah. Probably over half the class raise their hands. How many of you that have a Raspberry Pi have probably downloaded the Alexa app? You're talking to Alexa, you're formatting MQTT commands from Amazon, and you're publishing them to your Raspberry Pi to turn an LED on and off. Again, a lot of interest. And what's so exciting to me is that as we bring new exciting technology in, we can engage these young engineers because they know what in the heck we're talking about. So instead of having this little silo of knowledge of that, again, going back to that tribal knowledge, this is the way these industrial things work. We've got something that's easily consumable across the spectrum. And that, to me, that's what's exciting about what we're doing in this space.
0: Yeah. And what what are the two sentences that we often come across? We, We have never done it this way or... What was the other one? I've been doing this for years. I've been doing it for years, or we have never done it this way. Yeah. yeah. I think.
1: The-
2: well, and, and that's why I always go back, Yako um, and and um, you know, one of the things is that what we have to get across here is that first and foremost. MQTT, you know, we'll bring it up. And if somebody hasn't heard about it to your point, oh, that's bleeding edge technology. We're not going to adopt that. Well, remember this year MQTT turns 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Number two mm-hmm. is that it was invented. It, the genesis of it was for Phillips 66 on a, on a pipeline control project. So it really was invented not for uh, Alexa and for Raspberry Pis and, and and for Facebook Messenger. It wasn't real time, mission critical uh, applications. No, now, it's, it's a very
0: good point, Arden. Uh, and uh, just to sort of echo what you're saying, I think there's a, just a whole what of context that is just immediately relevant to, to these young people. Um, you know, without the requirement of explaining why or how or when. Uh, all of that context is is just automatically there, um, which is so refreshing.
2: Well, and it's the fact that you can you can put your hands on the technology, Yako. Again, every Raspberry Pi ships with Node Red, and yeah. Node Red is an MQTT creature first and foremost. So that means that instead of having to invest you know, thousands of dollars and get equipment and, you know, uh, uh, get some very, um, um, obscure documentation. That means that all of the engineers that we're talking to and all of the young engineers can go out and for, you know, for $35, they can have this technology up and be playing with it. And that to me is what's going to make this scale, you know, globally going forward. Um, and then, you know, the, and, I, and I think if I look back on, on what Andy and I had done, um, you know, really, <laughs> we had, uh, we kind of cheated, you know, all the hard work for any sort of a communications infrastructure is the security and it's the reliability of it. Mm. And um, at the time, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, choose UDP because it was lower overhead than TCPIP. IP. Uh, but had we done that, we would not be able to leverage all of the security and, and, and native capabilities of what the entire world are doing with TCPIP. IP. Hmm. Then the other thing that we leveraged is that we never did dictate a topic name and we never dictated a payload. So with MQTT, you can publish anything that you want on any topic. And I think that's why it's become the dominant uh, IOT transport, no matter which direction you look, from consumer all the way to heavy industrial. Now, at some point, you know, that is the wild west, I will agree. And at some point, we kind of had to drive a stake in the ground and say, look, for, you know, the industrial sector, if we want a mission-critical real-time infrastructure that is cloud ready, let's at least come out with a specification that gives us some ground rules so that we can start to understand these MQTT messages. So Sparkplug set up a well-known topic namespace. Uh, in, in, In that namespace, we started to describe what you would wanna do in an industrial system. I want to publish data. I want to publish a command. I want to publish a model. I want to instantiate that model. So th- those are the mechanics and the verbs that go around this very simple notion of what we're trying to do with the MQTT Spark Plug specification. And that dovetail, dovetails quite nicely now in this, uh, new, this new market sector that, to your point, it, we've been doing it but data ops just kind of popped up and says, oh, well, this is a completely new market sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Arlen, when, when
1: someone now comes to you and says, all right, Arlen, we, we hear what you're saying, we understand how important this foundation is, but um, we're still a little bit skeptical around MQTT. As Yaku said, we've been doing things away. A, a we wanna now, we wanna do a POC. We want to now check how this thing works. Um, what would you say if you if if someone starts it off with a POC and they start? It's probably eighty percent of the case. Eighty percent of okay. the case, uh, you know, it's it's always as we want to prove the concept. It doesn't matter if it's working on how many other sites. I want to prove it on my infrastructure, right? So we, we always get this kind of scenario. Um, I know we'd spoken a little bit about, you know, when you start to code on operating systems. And, and loaded question, is it IT
0: yeah. or OT that it wants the POC?
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, it's probably more from the IT side, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, Let's not go into that discussion, but we, we spoke a little bit about it around, you know, when you start to code on operating systems, that's, that's kind of one red light to understand that. No, no, no. There's some things where you spoke about it with, we, we put applications down to help us with this. So, so when that's probably one red light and so custom coding sometimes is a, is a very big no, no, not no, no, but it's a red flag that your POC might be in full of failure. What, what other type of, Things can we look out for to make sure that we do not fail when proposing this new foundation for that? What's critical to the successful for that implementation?
2: Well, Lenny, I think the first thing, um, and again, just you know, nothing specific, but but just to generalize, is that we all know there's system integrators. Um, there are, are organizations that are attacking the sea level and saying, Hey, you need to get into cloud infrastructure. You need to do digital transformation. It's wonderful. It's the panacea of everything that you'll, you'll be able to use to optimize your business. Um, and then, Oh, let's start on a project, you know, and, and have 18 months of discussions on, we're going to put this a component here. This <laughs> is the way we're going to put this infrastructure together. And, and, at, to this point over the last four years that we've been doing this, I can probably guarantee you that's going to fail. And it, it, it may even fail spectacularly. So the first thing that I would say is try to find, what what problem are you trying to solve? You know, first, let's, let's identify a problem that we're trying to solve. Then this other notion of, of being able to deploy edge compute Uh, regardless whether it's Google, IBM, uh, Microsoft, uh, AWS, being able to deploy cloud uh, or deploy edge of network uh, secure containers. And now there's this knee jerk reaction to say, well, I've got a secure container and that means I can write a bit of Python code or JavaScript and I can take a process variable off the plant and I can get it into the cloud. And I think that's what you were talking about, mm-hmm. Lenny, is this notion of pull, getting sucked into that first step that says, oh, I'll just write a little bit of code on this operating system. Correct. But that will not scale. And so what we're talking about is it's all about tools on platforms. So when we do demos, I want to be able to get on a, a WebEx with a customer, identify a piece of equipment, and show that we can use tools on Ignition, we can use leverage technology like MQTT Sparkplug, we can leverage services like Azure IoT Hub or AWS SiteWise. And in that 60 minutes, I should be able to get data off the factory floor into a model in the cloud and show that customer that's done at that point. That's how quick a a first level POC should be, it should be days, it should not be man months.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Alan, I agree 100%. Um, there's, it's, it's not just digital transformation um, projects that need some sort of, of goal and objective to achieve uh, we see it a lot in the reporting projects. We see it a lot in MES projects. Yeah. If there's no business value coupled with those projects, you, you almost immediately set up to fail because what what have you proven at the end of the day? What what are you actually achieving, um, and actually making better for your business by doing this? So, 100% agree. They must be coupled to some sort of of business value. Why are you doing this? I mean to push, just to push the data into the cloud, what is it, as you said, other than costing your rands and cents for storage capability, what are you actually achieving with that data just because it's now in the cloud?
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's and that's also significantly reduced with Spark Black being, being the standard for OT modeling. And I'm specifically referring to the eight to 12 or eight to 16 kind of month period that you refer to, Alan. I think that ability, data transformation ability from source uh, cuts down the time to value significantly.
2: Well, you know, and, and the point, uh, you know, I, I'll bring it up because uh, he says it all the time. One of the founding members of the Spark Plug Working Group was Chevron. And the representative from Chevron is Todd Anslinger. And, you know, he, anytime, I, and I know I've taught, taught, Todd and I talk a lot, he said, Arlen, you know, anytime anybody's doing a presentation or trying to sell Chevron a solution that, that plugs into their architecture, he said, at, at any point during that demonstration, if somebody says, oh, and then all you have to do is go in here and write some code, <laughs> he says, stop, stop, because he's, Chevron had, had already realized, they had already gone down that road, right? And what they found was that it became untenable, even when it was very, oh, well, this is just this little module. And then, oh, well, here's this other little module over here. And you know, if you look at it from an operational control engineers, uh, uh, PLC programmers, people like that, it's got to be all about tools on platforms, being able to configure things to get your infrastructure ready. And then be able to plug into the cloud again. You know, I think Yako, uh, you and Lenny and I were talking about this. Is that there may be many, many instances when you know there's very actually a very small amount of information that goes to the cloud because once they get this type of an infrastructure in place, they've got the visibility, they've got the knowledge, they've got the the engineering capabilities to keep this all within the business. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, and to that point, you know, he, he, especially on these projects that tend to run 18 months, 14 months, 24 months, uh, one site, one line, it's still easy, it's still maintainable. And when you wipe your eyes, there's about 20. Scalable. Yeah. And then then there's like 20 engineers sitting in your offices that you are, you know, renting out to just try and make this thing scale. Yeah. And they're all sitting back and coding their fingers to the ground. We saw <laughs> that a lot as well. I like that tools on platforms, not coding operating
0: systems. I like that. I might steal it from you, or, or, uh, or uh, at least yes. repurpose <laughs> re- 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 repurpose that. I love it.
2: <laughs> and again, you know, again, none of us are 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 slamming IT. We're not slamming, you know, programming language. We know that there's the right place for that. Yeah. But but we also know that in this whole context of what we're talking about. And and really, let's say we're talking about SCADA systems. We are still in a brownfield world. I don't care how many high-end modern PLCs come out with OPC UA servers in them. It's going to be minuscule compared to all of the brownfield equipment that's going to be around for the next decade. So let's embrace the fact that you know, we have protocols like Modbus and, and Alan Bradley and BACnet and all those, and they're going to be with us. And so let's embrace that and let's give ourselves tools to be able to deal with it.
0: Yeah. And open, Lenny, I know you, you are usually very quite, quite vocal about the open aspect is own your data. Don't let something or somebody or a system or a black box or anything else own your data open standards uh, is, is really the only way to go.
1: 100%. Um, you know, yes, a lot of tools and stuff does have SDKs and toolkits, and you can, again, but then you're starting to code. Mm. Using open standards to get your data out, I mean, you paid for it. You paid for the piece of the machine. It's your data. So definitely utilizing these open standards to just get your data out uh, shouldn't even be a debatable subject in my case.
2: Um, and then obviously... Yeah, uh, Lenny, I'll give you a good example of that. Is one of the things that we're seeing in the States, and, and I think I think probably everyone's seeing it globally, is that um LoRaWAN is is actually starting to mature, uh, at least here in the in the US. And LoRaWAN is a is a technology, it is basically low speed a wireless communication from sensors, uh, into your infrastructure. And there's some very interesting devices starting to come out, ultrasonic tank levels, uh, four to 20 milliamp, um, uh, Yokogawa has <clears throat> a new vibration sensor called Sushi that you can start slapping on all of your rotational equipment and start getting accelerometer and, and, and vibration information like immediately. But the interesting thing is that, what I was seeing is that there were these companies that were putting um, um, cloud solutions up, yeah. where you would take all this binary data from your and sensor, and you would send it to them, and then you would have to pay to get it back once they mm-hmm. interpret it.
0: We, we we recently experienced that with uh, with with a vendor presentation as well, and up until that point, it was a beautiful. Beautifully integrated story until they until they got to the point where they capture all of that in their own proprietary cloud and you have to pay to get the data from that.
2: Yep, yep. And so what we did was we took the same approach, Yako is that we said, well, wait, wait a minute. Uh, you know, we've got the capability to, uh, there, there are manufacturers that, that have LoRaWAN gateways. Uh, we can build a UDT. And in this UDT, we're gonna represent a Yokogawa vibration sensor or a radio bridge ultrasonic level. level. And we're gonna populate that UDT with that information. And then we're gonna publish it into the customer's infrastructure using Sparkplug. And all of a sudden, you know, no longer even have to touch the cloud, don't have to touch the internet, but we can start leveraging all of these lower land sensors. And there are many, many other applications, but that was one of them that, as you were talking through this, is that, uh, again, from open standards, whether it's MQTT or SQL databases or well-known protocols, we've got all of these tools at our disposal to make very good solutions for our end customers.
0: Yeah, and it's that interoperability—I want to call it—that really, or the decoupling—that really enables you to to connect multiple consumers, mm-hmm. multiple to serve many different different uh, systems and and uh, data consumers. Um, Alan, I wanted to get a quick example here of um, so I was just while you were while you've been talking through this, I'm just sort of putting it all together in my in my own mind. So I'm going to uh, sort of let's ignore any any specific any specific brands of skaters or anything else like that. And when, when it comes to specifically, I think some of the more recent kind of developments that we're quite excited about is the spark plug sitewise or the bridge that we have. Um, which is obviously no programming or code required, um, as it should be. Um, we know, for example, I'm going to mention it on the on the edge side, if if it's, for example, ignition, there's no programming or code required. And then obviously on the on the site-wise side, there's no programming or code required. Uh, wh- what does that typical flow look from left to right? Or, or what does that typical architecture look like if it's if it's not a if it's an easy question?
2: yes it is it is um so that again it was it was the work that we had done um amazon's probably we've probably been working with them the longest and we had done a lot of projects where we were uh quite adequately we were using kinesis streams we were using kinesis Firehose. we were using dynamo db but again in a in in some situations the customer could stitch all of this together quite nicely but in many many situations Again, it ended up with huge amounts of data setting in S3 buckets. And then those S3 buckets had to be, you had to write code to get it all pulled out and get it reorganized. And we were in the process of of trying to figure out, well, how could we make this better? Maybe every time we get an MQTT birth message, we could make an entry into DynamoDB. And then the process variables would go into S3 buckets. And we were kind of headed down that road And I think it was about 18 months ago, we had a meeting with Amazon, and they said, hey, Arlen, we've got this new service. It's called SiteWise. And uh, and if anybody listening here Googles AWS SiteWise, you can see (laughs) that very uniquely, it is a modeling service, machine Mm model. So in SiteWise, you create a model. And then when you want to use that model, let's say we created the model of a wind turbine now we can take and we can have multiple wind turbines that are instantiations of that model insight wise and insight wise those are called assets and then those assets have measurements and we can have you know rpm wind speed wind direction so what i just said we have a model we have an asset and we have measurements now let's look over here on on the edge side let's look at ignition edge Well, we can build a model with a UDT. We can instantiate that UDT, thereby creating an asset. And again, that asset has measurements. So the other uh, uh, cool thing about Amazon is they already had an MQTT broker. They've got AWS IoT Core. So what we did, we needed that bridge between messages flowing into IoT Core and the SiteWise service. So SiriusLink created a um, AMI, an an application, and we use, it's called CloudFormation. So literally uh, it's free to run for for two weeks. So literally you click on a button, that runs a CloudFormation that installs SiteWise Bridge in your Amazon infrastructure. So let's go from start to finish. Uh, you've got an edge device out in the field and it's talking to a wind turbine, creating a wind turbine model and populating it with the RPM and the wind direction and the wind speed. Now I've got my model and my asset. I literally point it at my AWS IOT core, my MQTT broker setting in Amazon and those wind turbine models will automatically show up InsightWise. No, no, pro, no coding and those, the assets will be instantiated. And now all of that wind turbine information goes directly into the time series database in SiteWise.
0: So, so data so, models for the assets as well as time series DB for the OT data.
2: Yes. Yeah, beautiful. So that yeah. is, that, that is you know, you were, we were talking about, how do, I, how do I go do a POC and do it quickly and see value? Well, here we're talking about, you know, literally, and, in, in, you know, just tongue in cheek, you could do this with a Raspberry Pi, run SiteWise Bridge for the first two weeks for free, run all the ignition modules in trial mode, and you've just done a POC of getting models, assets, and measurements into a cloud infrastructure, and it costs you $0. I do
1: what I love about it is that the models is already created on the OT layer. Yep, that's what that's what you don't have to that's... replicate and now link up and remember to add this and that. It's already done. You don't have to spend any time or effort to recreate that model inside of SiteWise.
0: That's the massive value that add. That's, that's the and I think
1: that's that's what we're talking about the single source of the truth of your model, and that's what we're talking about having it to having it only to configure it once on the OT layer.
2: Yeah, that 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 uh, again you know, that, that cut through the, the, that sequence that I just talked about, that cut through so many man months of, of engineering and design and, you know, gee, where, you know, how are we going to connect to this Kinesis stream? How are we going to write this Lambda? And again, I'm not, those are all really good tools in the cloud and we should all, you know, learn about them and figure out how to leverage them. But when we can cut through all of that complexity, and get with an with an OT guy that may not completely understand all the complexities of the cloud, but Arlen, Yako, uh, Lenny, I've been told that I need to get this data up into the cloud. How cool would it him be for him to go back to management and say, Hey, you know, yesterday you asked me about modeling, you know, wind turbines. Well, look here, it's already in the cloud.
1: Yep. And and Arlen, I guess it's it's the same story, right? not talking just Amazon, but it's the same story when we look at the other providers like Azure, for instance.
2: Yes, we're, we're doing much the same thing. We're working with Microsoft. So a lot leveraging what we can do with our injector modules. Uh, we literally, uh, as of this week, just released some more capabilities with the Azure injector module, which lets us do uh, routing into a service they call TSI, time series insights, and now to the same extent that we can do that in Amazon, uh, we're gonna be able to do it in Azure as well.
0: Great. Uh, I'm not sure if you feel, uh, I know you have a, uh, you, you likely you, you can't share the, uh, the, the customer details and the site details, but I know you spoke to us, you gave us a little bit of detail about an incredible um, project that you had, which was a, a vessel, a vessel of fleets, uh, sorry, a fleet of, of 30 plus, I think it was 30 plus vessels. Um, can you share a little bit of that around that if you feel comfortable with it?
2: Uh, yeah, we had an opportunity with, with a customer um, that were looking to modernize their uh, shipping container or shipping vessel um, infrastructure. And Ironically, Yako, <laughs> ironically, uh, guess what? Down in the guts of a ship, monitoring the motor, monitoring all of the, the logistics, is that they have Modbus and they have Alan Bradley. Yep. Yep, but then on it. the ship, they also had their um, um, you know local display and their local information. And then they had business apps on the vessel. But coming off the vessel, they had satellite communications. So they wanted literally to go and build an infrastructure where they went from, you know, level zero, the the control system in the bowels of the ship, up into their information system, up into their analytics, and then efficiently take that information and publish it over their VSAT system into their cloud backend systems. And so ultimately, uh, it was a very... Interesting project. Uh, we we won it, and now we're going you know three levels through the ship. Uh, the nice thing is, from each level, we're making an, an MQTT connection up. And again, from a security standpoint, I think we already talked about this, is that you know there's no better security. MQTT does not. It's a remote originated connection, so there doesn't need to be any ports open. From level two to level three, no ports open from level three to level four, and no ports open coming off the ship into the VSAT infrastructure. So that, that was a very good uh, example of even though we weren't in the quote vessel monitoring business, yeah. the application was perfect for what and that's was the
1: beauty, right? Like. That's definitely not a pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: definitely not a
2: winning guess, although that's
0: quite unusual. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's probably likely one of the, one of the misconceptions as well. I think you know the, the MQTT born oil and gas just for oil and gas um, and also the exclusivity for remote asset applications. I know Lenny, you've done a couple of tests here in the office now in our demo environment, um, doing some incredible things with MQTT. Um, again, not just for communication, bandwidth efficiency and remote applications, but for some fairly, fairly heavy load applications if you've, you've done a
1: couple of incredible tests. Yeah, I think, I think whats with what people always I and mean, we, we spoke about it right. We spoke about data modeling. Um, but you know contextual information that can now couple with that. Alan, um, I know you guys gave us an example where you actually feed camera feed through the NQTT. Oh, that's uh, phenomenal uh, protocol. So that's that's phenomenal. I think people forget that. All right, i've got mqtt here it's now pushing my more traditional you know pressures and valve or vibrations and all the more more, more realistically or concept, um, process variables but now what about some more type of you know static information or you know how many containers on the ship what is the barcode of the container on the ship um when was it packed all of that contextual data and you've got the infrastructure now already created on this vessel. And you can actually now start pushing that contextual information through the same infrastructure that you've created, nothing different. You don't have to put anything else down. Mm. The infrastructure is created and you can use that for other contextual information, not just vibrations and pressures and flows.
2: Well, absolutely. Um, yes, the, the, by adding the uh, ability now in Sparkplug to publish a file, um, it can be a CSV file, as you said. It can be a JPEG image. It could be a sound clip of customers that are very interested in listening. You know, having a, a short sound clip on, from their equipment. And the other thing I, I kind of forgot to mention, as we were talking about data ops, is that um, it, it's it's also a very evident capability within Sightwise is that for the last thirty years we've been having vendors provide us with uh, these things called asset framework. And that kind of goes back to our data ops discussion, right? So, well, uh, uh, Lenny, you've got this Modbus register and it's connected to this four to 20 milliamp transmitter that happens to be a pressure. And you're calling that P1 from this location and it's flowing up into your time series database. But you know what, Lenny, you need an asset framework We're now another piece of software with another human being typing in information that contextualizes where that pressure came from. So Mm -hmm. now, you know, not only are you, you, you're hand-entering data every time you get a register value pair, now you're hand-entering information into the asset framework that says, where's that coming from? Well, with UDTs, you can put uh, properties on UDTs. Well, what happens in SiteWise is we create attributes for those properties. So I can add things like location, supervisor, uh, the equipment serial number, uh, the allotment number. Mm -hmm. So now we've kind of layered the asset framework and the uh, measurement or the monitoring capabilities. Again, to your point, it's layered all on one communications infrastructure, technology, where we can do both,
1: and the great thing about that is the broker-centric says if there's another third-party application that needs that data, it can get it easy to, to inject, easy mm-hmm. to, to get to connect to the broker um, because it's this open standard protocol.
2: Yeah, and and, and again, that's that's what we're seeing. Uh, we we literally um, again I can't mention the customer's name, but a very large project where. several data consumers coming off. So the the project started on just a small POC. Um, Hey Arlen, can we get some of this building uh, control information, chillers, air handler units, can we get that into SiteWise? Yep, done, got it. Oh, here's a chiller showing up, here's an air handler unit showing up. Oh, we have another application. That's cool, it's going into SiteWise. But we got this other application where they just want to build some dashboards. So we had this other application and it subscribed to IoT Core as well. And then they had a third application. So all of a sudden, just by getting a simple POC up, just going from you know a building control system into a few models, then going, well. Well, let's expand that, let's plug another application. That's the power of the decoupling of MQTT is that you publish information, you don't care who consumes it. Yeah. As a consumer, you consume information, you don't need to know who produced it. Yeah.
0: Cool, do you want to
1: um, recap? I think the only thing that I want to recap from from that is um, obviously, Arlen. There's a lot of as we speak about these things. There's a lot of building blocks, right, that we need, obviously, for this industrial platform or for this data ops solution to to actually function. Well, it is. It's an industrial platform, and it's- and I think I think people must just remember that we shouldn't position when we try and sell this or make sure that we, that we get the buy-in is, is, we're not selling MQTT here. We're not selling the, only that portion of it. We're selling the whole overall solution to go from edge to enterprise and creating that platform. And that that obviously includes, you know, um, how do we bridge that ITOT gap? How do we make sure it's future proof? How do we make sure that there's no coding involved? But it's an overall solution, an idea that we're selling here, rather than that just oh, we need MQTT for this to actually work.
2: Oh, right, right. Uh, to to a large extent, I, I think I'm still guilty of that. In that, you know, it's not about MQTT. It's not about Spark Plug. It's about building an ecosystem of OEM vendors, of solution providers, of application providers. It, it's building those things around open standards so that our customer has choices. Um, it's very important to me. And again, you know, they said Arlen, you know, well, we could just go directly in and hard code this stuff into Amazon. We could hard code the stuff into Google. We could hard code it into IBM. But you know, I've got this notion as I came off of 25 years of, um, in the hardware business. So I was the CTO for a company that manufactured, you know, embedded computers and embedded computer systems. And not one time did I have a customer that that we were designing equipment for. He didn't, he never came to me and said, you know, Arlen, I want you to design me this piece of equipment. And I only wanted to work with AT&T. Or I only want it to work with Verizon. No. And by the way, Arlen, I want this to work with T-Mobile and Verizon, AT&T and Orange and BT. And I want this to work with anybody's cellular infrastructure. And what I'm seeing is the same in, you know, what we're seeing emerge in digital transformation is that no, I don't wanna just go to Amazon or just Microsoft or just IBM or just Google or just SAP. I want the choice. And the more, MQ, again, the more people that can adopt MQTT Spark plug, that means that today I could point it at this service. Tomorrow I could point it at this service. I am not hard coding again, right? I'm not hard coding my customer to a particular solution that Six months down the road, he goes, oh, man, I just realized I am—I can't move. I am hard-coded to this, or I'm hard-coded to this. And we want to give our customers, you know, it, it's the serendipitous nature of data. Oh, I just realized something. They, This company just announced this. I want to take advantage of that. And our customers need to have that capability to be serendipitous with their data.
1: Alan, well, I think you're, you're selling yourself a little bit short. And, and the reason I say that, I think you're doing a great job. The amount of vendors that's out there that, that supports it now. I mean, we spoke about the guys that's obviously on the Tahoe Foundation, but there's big players in the market that that's starting to adopt it. We're talking about moxo we're talking about Aviva, all of these companies are coming on board and MQTT is getting entrenched yeah. more and more into these vendors.
0: And Olin, you're right. I think the the very important part of that entrenchment or of that adoption is the ecosystem. And, it, and I'd, I'd like to get a sense of how you feel personally. It doesn't, you know, I, I get the view that we've likely never had this big an opportunity um, to finally, to put it simply, get that OT and IT um, bridging um, and, and digital transformation easily done. We've, we've never had as good as an opportunity as we have now to get that standard in place. Um, and, and that must be terribly exciting for you. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> to me, again, I go back and, and uh, it's been very interesting. I, I can say that for me to watch the evolution of MQTT over the last 20 years, Andy and I, you know, we talk every every so often and we, we look back and, and realize that 1999, um, everybody still had DB9 RS-232 ports on their laptops. Um, mm-hmm. If we would go into OT and say the word TCP IP, um, typically we just got blank stares, like what's that? <laughs> um, there, there, there was no notion of cloud computing. Um, gosh, nobody was worried about security on TCP IP because nobody knew what it was. So obscurity is security, right? Yeah. Um, but to watch it evolve into uh, it being adopted already by all the, the major cloud providers, um, I agree with you. I think this is an opportunity for uh, the entire operational uh, ecosystem to take advantage of it, um, embrace it. To your point, Yako, Again, I can't mention it, but there are there are many many huge uh, uh, organizations that are adopting a spark plug B going forward. Many of them are going to be joining the spark plug working group, but there are others that that aren't. I mean, and it'll just be oh yeah, we we plug this into uh, MQTT infrastructure. So you're right. We should take advantage of this. It's the kind of the keep it simple stupid. It does what it needs to do. It does it very well. It does it efficiently. Uh, it's easily understandable. Again, I'll go back to my notion of it embraces the way that this next generation of engineers think. Hmm. You know, it, it embraces that because it does leverage you know internet, TCP, IP uh, technologies. So I think going forward, it's going to be great to see everybody come together. And like you said, you know, when you have the Avivas of the world and um, those people adopting it, then it's going to become viral very, very quickly. I mean,
1: I, and speaking about the youngsters, uh, Alan, I don't think it's just about the the great technology. It's also about, you know, what do you mean I need to configure this thing both in, in, in this solution and that? Why why can't I do it just in one place and it and it works? On both sides? On both how sides? How many times? How yeah. many times would I do it? So, yeah, I think just from what they're used to with, you know, apps and the way technology is driven, you know, and the way the notion around configuring once, you know, with the birth capability and it's, and it's consumed with all these other places, it's, it's also filling into that gap around just the ease and use of the technology.
2: Well, it's interesting. Um, I, I can tell this story because uh, I had the opportunity to go out to Tesla and uh, go through the the factory out in in, uh, the San Francisco area. And, you know, uh, Tesla has just, uh, you know, huge number of young, really sharp engineers. And we were sitting in this meeting and, you know, one of these very young engineers, he looked at me and he goes, "Uh, Arlen, uh, I wrote MQTT spark plug in Allen Bradley ladder logic. And I'm looking at him and I go, you did what? (laughs) oh yeah watch this but but the notion was and then the engineers asked me they said arlen uh why why do we have to pull this these plc's to get information why can't they just tell us when it changes yeah and and you know i literally had to go through and and again i I hope i'm not digressing here but i had to go through the fact that you know when we started at least when i started 1980. Um, there were no such thing as, as networking protocols. So we had RS-232, RS-45. We had uh, Bell 202 modems. And because of the nature of the networks we had, we had to poll. We had, because it was a multi-drop system, right? Everybody was listening. I send out a message and it's got an address on it. Your address one, your address two. And so when address two got his message, he got to respond. So we got that mentality baked into our heads, and we got it so entrenched that for 40 years, that's the way we do it. And, and to come out and actually say, well, we're just going to connect into infrastructure, and we're going to publish everything that we know, and then we're going to publish everything, report by exception, because we know our state, going back to your point, Jaco, it is it is disruptive. But, but I think we're getting that generation of engineers that understand it
0: yeah definitely, definitely. and again if there, if there ever is an opportunity it's it's it feels like a very small window of opportunity there, that we have and hopefully we'll see that unification in our lifetime and it feels like we we're very close to that so, so getting the right foundation um, to getting the right foundation in place for this to be successful. Uh, maybe as a recap, so the, the one that's that that I'm definitely going to repurpose and mine and keep. on, and I love that as tools on platforms and not coding operating systems. We spoke about open architecture. We spoke about the ease of everything installing, managing, and configuring. Uh, as to your point, Lenny. Uh, we spoke about that very very important that 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 quite crucial. Uh, data ops or, or data transformation edge to to um, to enterprise transformation. Uh, we spoke about interoperability, scalability. Uh, probably the one that is most important for these for success in, in most of these cases. And obviously, hand in hand with that scalability is obviously the price element or the or the costing element that that either makes it viable or not. Is is, is that just about sums it up, Arden?
2: Yep, that that does. I think the one other thing, again, not 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 that we forget, lest, lest we forget it, uh, is the security aspect. Yeah, um, yeah. No, we keep going back again and again on that that that, and again, that's the other unique nature is that for 40 years we've had to take from a central computer, our SCADA system, or our platform, we had to make outbound connections to connect to equipment. And with MQTT, it flips it on its head and it's a remote originated connection, i.e. the equipment connects into our infrastructure, thereby not having to have any ports open. And it leverages the latest TCP IP security, whatever that is today and whatever it is that's going to be tomorrow.
0: Perfect. Cool. Another hour. It's, just, I know like that. it's crazy. Alden, <laughs> well, you have this. Um, thank you very much. You have this incredible ability to just very eloquently just canvas everything that is happening in this space and just making it so simple and easy to understand. Um, th- thanks again for your time. I think we've just been just been over an hour already. We really really appreciate your insights. It's always a just an absolute treat chatting to you and and. As always, just hearing the passion and, and the knowledge for what is what is currently happening in our industry and so pivotal to its future. So so thanks again for your time.
2: Well, Yako Lenny, as always, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Element Eight is doing some fantastic stuff. I really love your outreach. I I love the fact that you're, you know, the the what you said about what you guys did in Cape Town and what you're seeing in South Africa. So, uh, keep it up. It's fantastic what you guys are doing.
1: Perfect. Thanks, Alan.
0: Cool. Appreciate it. We 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 will do that, and uh, we'll we'll stay in touch. I'm sure we'll have a couple of more comments and questions following this this episode, and we'll be sure to forward those on to you um and yeah let's keep the conversation going as always it's all about conversation hopefully, hopefully
1: not another six months though. No, yeah, <laughs>
0: hopefully not another six months we're not we're not the holders of of all information and, it, and it's so important for the more people in our ecosystem that that spread the news and the awareness and the education i think the better off everyone's going to be
2: cool. great i really appreciate it guys
0: awesome Alan, thank you so much we'll uh, we'll chat soon and as, as Lenny said definitely not six months again <laughs> <laughs> all right Lenny what do we I think we promised a couple of podcasts we spoke about the water industry we were definitely going to speak to some consultants we've got that lined up yeah. I know we also have food and beverage in the brewing space we have some podcast lineup if there's any suggestions, um, I know our listeners have sent through some some thoughts and ideas which we've used. If there's any suggestions or ideas, please let us know. What is the email address again? I thought you were going to steal one. Though. No, I can't remember oh, the email address.
1: So it's podcast.elementate.com Podcast ed- yes. Please, guys, send us your topics and your ideas. Uh, even people, if you if you want us to to interview someone that you feel is relevant in the manufacturing environment, uh, please get those topics and ideas off to us.
0: Fantastic. we we. we... We're certainly not um, professionals. Um, it's a very humble podcast. We're trying to do our small little part and just having conversations with different folks from the industry. And thank you for the support. We really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Uh, it really is encouraging. And we'll see you for the next episode in about two weeks time, I think. That's great. Excellent. Thank you for listening. And let us know if there's anything. Be safe. Look after each other. Thank you. Cheers, everybody.